Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all the contributors to my show. And I also want to thank all my listeners for listening. And the contributors are executive producers Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Cleansing and Protection Magic, Binaural Production Engineer, Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in becoming a contributor to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, you might recognize this guy's voice, it is Damian Keller. Thank you for coming on again today. Hey, thanks, Gary. And uh, I just got to say, you're, uh, you got a little distorted there where about halfway through your intro, uh, kind of hard to make out what you're saying. It got real loud and your voice went all distorted on it. Oh, that's weird. I don't know if it'll yeah. show up in the recording or if it's just something with your phone. Uh, I don't know. Hold on real quick. Let me try something here. Okay. I had the headphones in, but hmm. see what it sounds like now. I don't know. Might be a little better. We'll see. Do you hear it? All right. Uh, yeah. No, it still sounds real distorted. It just sounds like you cranked it up or something in the middle of the intro. And then um, now you're like kind of muffly and but also distorted. Like it's super loud. and It's hard to make out what you're saying, kind of. That's kind of weird. Everything sounds okay on my end. Because huh, okay. I, I would hear it through my headphones. Oh, uh, there we go. Yeah, now it sounds a little bit better. Does it? Maybe it is. Maybe it was my phone. That's really weird. I don't know what happened. It was like halfway through, it kind of faded louder and got super distorted, and then I don't know. I unplugged my headphones, so maybe it was that. Huh. I had the headset in, but no big deal. Just not use the headset. Yeah, everything sounds good now. So maybe it was on my hand. But anyway, yeah. So, uh, so we are going to talk uh, about energy healing. Yeah, why not? Um, something a buddy of mine we're talking about doing a podcast on um he's done one or two and uh we just haven't found the time with he had some other projects come up and things like that so um i don't know it's uh it's one of those things i kind of started writing about he was working on a book for right before all this covid bs hit and um so you know probably a month into it i posted in my facebook group i'm like so no more touch therapy then i guess <laughs> you know if i'm packing my massage table up and storing it in the garage for the past year and a half yeah. um, you know uh kind of one of those things like well is anybody even going to do this and of course i mean there's such a thing as uh you know doing it on yourself or for distance um you know so it's not uh, not doesn't have to be touch or you could do it with your hands above a person um, a lot of people don't believe in it and in my classes, one of the things I lead with is the fact that um, back in about 87, a Dr. John Zimmerman actually hooked up uh, electrodes, like an EEG type of system, uh, but hooked up the electrodes to a practitioner's hands and recorded the frequencies that were coming out of them, uh, which are uh, have a lot in common with the Schumann resonance, which we discussed in the past when we talked about music therapy and sound therapy. Um, the Schumann Earth resonance, you know, that, that that's basically the heartbeat of the Earth at 7.83 hertz on average is, um, and some of its 
harmonics are the same frequencies that are uh, being emitted from from touch therapist's hands. And I've done this myself with my own EG, EEG system and had other practitioners uh, do it so they could see it for themselves as well. And uh, one woman at an event was like, oh, my God, can I film this and bring it home and show it to my boyfriend because he doesn't believe in it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, by all means, you know. Uh, you can see the frequencies. There's a float the ball game that you can do with your meditative states, and I can actually do it easier with my hands sometimes than I can with my brain because it's easier for me to turn on that energy um, than it is for me to get into that meditative state and give my brain waves to, you know, peak in those ranges. So, um, you know, depending on where I'm at in my day and that kind of thing. So, um, firstly, just wanted to point out that it is actually a thing you know jesus did it with the laying on of hands the essenes did it the sisters at monasteries in europe still do it the christian science people do it the rosicrucians do it you got reiki and winter groups off of that so there's all kinds of different uh, groups and orders and organizations out there um, using this practice so how's it done how does one get their hands to vibrate at a certain frequency well, um, a Reiki attunement is something that can do it. Um, however, in the early stages of uh, even like the Amoric Rosicrucians, they instruct people how to do it. And it's sort of one of those things that, uh, you know, it's hard to say. I hate, you know, being that I come from a mostly scientific perspective when I teach most of the things I teach or practice and do is that y you'll know it when it happens and not everyone probably can do it um most people can it, it's not impossible it's just something that you'll have to really kind of tune into on your own and um, there are ways that you can utilize things to assist like for instance the schumann resonance uh track that i made for brainwave entrainment for my sound therapy session which i used um I think I might not, I'm not sure which one I used for your intro. I think I used a different one, but uh, I started off, I was going to use that one, but I decided to use something a little fuller. But um, anyway, you know, once you get kind of familiar with them, or if maybe you've had um, another practitioner work on you a lot, you'll start to kind of get the vibe of what it is, um, literally. Um, it's, uh, it's something that like I could always feel even before I got attuned to Reiki and, and once I did do level one, it definitely increased. And then when I did level two, it definitely increased again. Um, it's, uh, it's something unique, you know, that you'll have to experience for yourself. And, um, but once you do, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it will come on by itself just by thinking about it. It's, it's something that, um, I don't know. It's definitely a little bit unique and, and, uh, people can feel it sometimes with me. For some reason, they say it feels like, and I've experienced it myself. It feels like there's little bubbles floating around and, uh, doing the work. So, um, could even be a little different for different people. Um, as far as the different groups doing it, I mean, you could, uh, you know, talk to Christian scientists or, Reiki practitioners, and I even, um, the woman who did my first attunement, um, when I told her that I'd experienced it before, she said, well, that's not Reiki if, if you're not Reiki attuned. I went, well, okay. 
Now, but I guess you can say that technically. Um, but one of the things I explained to a group in Chicago I was teaching there, they're similar to Reiki, but they have a different, slightly different system, and there's a different name to it. And, of course, just like all the others, um, they're, they're not unlike religions in reality because with every single one of these groups, it's my way or the highway. Everything else is wrong. Um, if you ask a Christian scientist, it's the work of the devil if it's not done through them in the way they say. And um, it's uh, just absolutely not true. It doesn't matter. You may have uh, – you're familiar with uh, the term egregore? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, for those who aren't, it's just kind of a group of spirit guides or oversouls who – uh, kind of look over and watch over, uh, you know, spiritual groups, you know, um, each kind of have their own unique egregore. And so, yeah, it may be different in that aspect. Um, and, you know, the more you, you kind of understand or work with, the, the more you've got working with you, uh, and assisting with it. But, um, the bottom line is, is that if you were to hook up, uh, electrodes to your hands and run them into a, uh, you know, some kind of monitoring device or like an EEG, you're not going to see any difference from one group to the other. You might see a difference between one individual to the next, depending on their experience, depending on how their day is going, how clear they are, how, uh, you know, just where they're at in the day and in their life. Uh, but you're not, you know, that would be a difference uh, like in in amplitude, not frequencies. Um, it's kind of like when people say, oh, there's human resonance rising, rising because look at this graph. Well, they don't know how to read a graph. <laughs> and so they're seeing an increase in amplitude uh, in a higher uh, harmonic and going, look, it changed to 11. Now it changed to 42. If the, if the Earth's resonance changed to 42 hertz, first of all, you can hear that. <laughs> you know, So the whole, whole world would be going, what the hell is that hum? Secondly, uh, you know, the Earth's shape would have to drastically change for that to happen, and, and that's just not happening. So, uh, but that's that's what you would see anyway. Back to the energy work is, is you would see different levels of amplitude, but not in the frequencies that you're seeing um, being emitted. So, unfortunately, um, again, yeah, most of these groups are are very much like the. Uh, like the religions with the my way or the highway. And I suspect that some of it may be innocent. You know, maybe the Christian scientists really believe that unless you follow their specific Christ-oriented way, everything else is evil. Uh, but realistically, I think it's probably more because uh, each individual group just wants to get their dues, you know, from a member. <laughs> and, and they don't want to uh, worry about competition. So if you just call everyone else evil... That's a good way to keep people away from it and scared off of uh, educating themselves in just about any um, realm of today's society. So, mm. unfortunately, that's what we find happening a lot. Wow. So, what um, is the difference yeah. between the normal frequency that a person's hands generate versus the healing frequency? Like, is, is there a big difference in those frequencies? Um, or is it a very subtle change? It's, uh, yeah, no, there is a big difference. Um, say if I clamp the EEG on my hands just out of the blue and don't quote unquote turn it on, um, it's kind of a, <clears throat> it's kind of like an even 
rise and fall of the different frequencies on the on the EEG display. Um, and then once you really get it going, you're going to see a peak in those um, lower ranges. The EEG will display from zero to about 40 hertz. And so you'll see like these kind of even peaks throughout all those different ranges. And then uh, once you, you know, begin to amplify one over the other, just like if you had the EEG on your head, uh, you know, once you begin to activate the meditation, you know, levels, um, start getting yourself into a theta state or even lower, uh, then you will see drastic peaks in those ranges as opposed to the other. Um, just like if you were uh, to focus hard on <clears throat> studying something, um, you'd see peaks in the higher ranges. Um, you'll see those peaks in the lower ranges as you take slower breaths, deeper breaths, you know, relax and get into that meditative state. You'll, you'll definitely start seeing these crazy high peaks in those ranges. Um, and that's what activates the ball to float in the game. And, um, again, you know, I can put the things on my hands and it'll take a few minutes, but as I said, oftentimes it's a lot easier to kick that on than it is to get my brain um, into that state. So, so yeah, it's something you can definitely quantify. So where, like, is, is it the brain that's directing this energy or is it like we're opening up a channel for the energy to flow? Uh, I would say the latter. And I think most groups and orders that practice it would say the same thing. Um, and, you know, one practices like to envision, you know, a beam of light, uh, you know, maybe St. Michael, if that's part of your beliefs, things like that. You know, there are ways to uh, <clears throat> kind of call on and, and invite it in and open yourself up to it, you know, and there are different practices with different groups. And I won't get into too many of those uh, as, you know, they kind of consider them proprietary aspects of their individual practices. But, you know, uh, I will say those couple of things. Um, other groups will say, feel it coming uh, the other direction, like through your feet up from the earth and then up into your hands. Um, it just kind of depends on, uh, you know, and both, I found both things to work. I have ones that I prefer over others uh, as far as practices go, but taking from several different ones, you kind of begin to feel what works for you what works for you quicker. Um, and, you know, in this day and age, um, there's not a whole lot you probably can't find online. If, if one is really inclined and is kind of diligent in their research, <clears throat> you know, being a little bit um, mindful of terminology used, you know, to do, to search, uh, you know, don't just search Reiki, uh, search therapeutic touch, search, touch therapy, or, you know, um, I found with just about researching anything, um, you know, a, a UFO researcher, for instance, would never go, well, I'm just going to type in UFO and then I'll just read everything that comes up from there. You're going to look up <laughs> flying disc. You're going to look up like, you know, I mean, there's other terms that you're going to find a whole other set of information from no matter what it is you're looking into. Um, you know, it's a big part of a reason why. A lot of times it's it's not smart for me to say, 
you know, I study Rosicrucianism and Theosophy. If somebody just simply Googles those two words, they're going to think I'm in the same worshiping cult or two. And it can't be further from the truth, but um, they might not know. Uh, for instance, the search the Golden Rosencruits, uh, you know, French terminology, German terminology. Look up, you know, not everything you're going to find is necessarily uh originating in the English or in the West, you know, in America, you know, you might need to kind of think about and, and research some different ways to look things up to really find things that aren't going to be quite the surface material that's put there on purpose to scare you away from it, you know, and to, to make you not want to look into it because um, between the powers that be and the groups themselves, there's, more than an abundance of that out there, you know, uh, to keep you away from the information. So, um, definitely diligent searching is, is one of those things that can, uh, can really be a benefit to a researcher of anything. But, um, but yeah, when it comes to those things, you know, look up chi, look up prana. Um, unfortunately, vril is another word for that. And you're not going to find anything on the internet. Um, uh, that really tells you a lot about it, except possibly uh, our friend Dale Pond's site, SVP Vril, stands for uh, Sympathetic Vibratory Physics. Um, and that's that's kind of what it's based on. It's like the tuning fork thing where if you've seen the YouTube videos where you strike one tuning fork and hold it up to another of the same frequency, don't touch them, just hold it near it. The second one will start to vibrate in sympathy where the strings of the sitar mm-hmm. um, that run underneath the main strings will vibrate when the main strings are played. Uh, basic law of physics, they don't want to tell you this in school because the world would be a drastically different place if we knew how much our energy affected others around us. Uh, we all know when we come into contact with somebody who's um, extremely negative and, and mean and just a spiteful person for no reason and just have this really bad energy. I just had a friend message me the other day. I haven't heard from him in years Said he ran into somebody on a job. He does construction who just was a holy terror, a little Godzilla storming around the house and it just ruined his energy for the day and asked if I had anything, you know, sound wise to fix that. <laughs> so I sent him some tracks, but, um, you know, it, it, it just how, how little it takes. I think I was an interview I heard years ago about, you know, being mindful of your words when you talk to people in relationships and, and think to yourself, how big of a rock did I just throw at that person with what I said, you know, and it sounds silly, but really think about it that way because that's what it feels like to them, you know? Um, and so you didn't intentionally do that necessarily. And I used to be the kind of person to go, well, if you can't deal with the, the bad with me, then you don't deserve the good or that kind of thing. And then, you know, after so many relationships failing, you go, well, maybe it is me. (laughs) You know, know, uh, maybe I need to just not explode about things and let them build up until that happens and and work it out in a different way, those kind of things. But, but anyway, we, uh, we all know how, you know, somebody can mean mode you in a grocery store and it just sets you off for the day in a bad mood. You know, even everything's going fine. And it's like, well, what the hell is that about? You know, so it, it really can, you know, other people's energy can affect you in an extremely negative way. So um, it only makes sense that uh, it works when you 
when you open up to the Schumann Earth resonance, which is the healing frequency of the seventh interval in music that that does the healing work and uh, Fabian Maman exploded cancer cells with back in the 80s that um, that really does the does the trick. And so if you can get that get to where you, know, you can control that coming out of your hands, um, it definitely will will uh, change and heal other people's energy as well. So. Hmm. So, no. where does this energy or where does this frequency come from? Uh, I would say the the Earth. It's the human Earth resonance, and uh, and I think whether you envision um, that energy coming through the Earth into your feet and up out into your hands, or you envision a white light coming from above, I mean it's the resonance of the Earth between its core and the ionosphere. Um, so it's in essence, all around us, but it is a, a wave. It's a vibration that that flows in and out, um, and so I think it's a matter of just uh, locking into that. Which, again, um, as we talked about with the sound therapy stuff, it, you know, with today's day and age with 5G and crappy music on the radio, and uh, you know, all the other you know frequencies out there flying around our digital television signals now and everything else it's um we're definitely be being bombarded with the wrong frequencies all day that are leading us away from that Schumann earth resonance which uh being in sync with it is is something that your uh cardio system needs your your respiratory system needs you know it's not healthy to have uh an amplified uh, a, a ramped up heartbeat all day or um you know short quick breaths all day because of your, uh, you know, heightened, um, sense of awareness and, and being overworked and things like that and hustling and bustling all day long. Um, you know, and constantly having a screen in front of us, um, a lot of times for work, you know, people like us, um, you know, it's the first thing we touch in the morning and it's the last thing we touch before we go to bed because we have to make sure nobody's trying to get in touch with us about something important, you know, um, never didn't used to be that way back before cell phones, but you know, people would go three, four days without checking their email and it was no big deal, but not anymore. You know, um, I'm going to come back to find somebody PayPal me money four days ago and they're a little pissed off wondering where I am, you know? So, um, you know, we're definitely bombarded with that and, and just constantly having our attention drawn from nature to, you know, these cyber relationships and, uh, and other things we do just work in general. And, and so, um, it's something that that's important to kind of go back to and refresh and cleanse yourself with and, you know, slow your breathing, slow your heart rate and, and, relax and take your mind off of everything and so it's you know it's also <clears throat> look into some of these frequencies like the monks you probably heard about the monks who meditate mm -hmm. almost naked in the snow and melt the snow around them and their brain waves are peaking at around 40 hertz you know that's a really higher end of it um but you're also going to see those low meditative states along with it generally with them it's almost more of like all of their brain waves are peaking, but at a really amplified level, um, kind of like an even balance almost 
uh, across the board. Um, and it literally, you know, like when you're getting a Reiki attunement, it feels like heat. It feels like warmth coming out of the hands, you know, and that's likely why they're they're melting the snow in a 10-foot diameter around them just by sitting there meditating, you know. Um, they're generating that much energy that, that it melting the snow and um hmm. anyway yeah that's um, so this this frequency um is if it's being generated from the earth where does the earth get it from is there is there a cosmic or spiritual side to this or is it strictly physics um i mean personally i would say it's both um a scientist for NASA or something would probably say that it's strictly physics, uh, although I know one that, that does know that it's both. Um, in Lone Tree out in Arizona, he quote-unquote retired in Sedona. I probably told you about him before. Uh, he was a guest speaker at one of my classes out there, and he actually took a magnometer and an EEG out to the vortexes, <clears throat> which the Native Americans and the hippies after them have been saying, you know, in the New Agers, have been claiming we're out there for years and um you know a lot of people would go oh yeah right that's not a real thing well he actually went out and, and proved they were um and they're just basically these uh amplified intakes and outtakes of the of the Schumann earth resonance at these particular spots um throughout sedona and uh and so he actually proved they were there and they erected a plaque to him uh, overlooking one of the canyons in Sedona, which is pretty cool. But uh, wow. did he ever but, yeah, go to uh, Bradshaw Ranch? I don't think so. No, uh, possibly. I'm not sure. Is that out there? Or is that a <clears throat> Sedona? Yeah. Hmm. Okay, he may have been. Yeah, I know he went to pretty much all the ones that were reported to be there uh, at the time. So. So how is yeah, um, how you know um, why does this frequency heal? Um, <clears throat> I don't know if I can really answer that. I'm not sure why it does. Um, it's just uh, a particular resonant frequency. Um, when when uh, my man did it in France with the breast cancer cells, um, he actually took. Uh, microscopic pictures as it progressed and he used a um, a major scale and it the cells began to disintegrate at about the sixth interval uh, to the seventh interval and he assumed that it was the uh, progressive orderliness of the scale that the chaotic cancer cell couldn't handle um, which kind of gives it a new agey kind of a idea to it. Um, but that just wasn't the case. It's just simply the seven interval that does it. Um, it's something that's also known in music as the minor second. A lot of people find it really dissonant. Mm -hmm. Um, if you played two notes of the piano together at the same time, uh, one, you know, one right next to each other, that would be that interval, um, you know, it's kind of like the beginning of the chopsticks. It's, people are like, ah, what is that? You know, um, but there was a Simpsons episode where Lisa 
I think was in the jazz club and like, you have to listen to the notes they're not playing. And it was this big joke, but realistically, um, that's kind of a phrase in jazz, meaning it's the intervals that you're listening for the, the, the resonances and dissonances and harmonies and dissonances created by these weird chords and notes, um, you know, that don't seem to sound right together. But once you get used to it, you go, oh, that is actually pretty good. You know, mm-hmm. it's kind of the same thing. Um, kind of the same thing that, you know, at first people are like, that just sounds like noise. That's really weird. I don't know. I don't like it. You know, but if you're kind of ready for it and open for it, um, something that's a lot easier to get used to. I've had people say that when it comes to like my, my, uh, scale of 12 fifths recordings for the sound therapies and things like that, at first they said they thought it sounded out of tune and weird and different. But then when they went back and listened to regular, uh, you know, commercial Western pop music, they were like, no way, this is the one that's out of tune. <laughs> you know, I can hear it now. Like, listen to that guitar. That's not a good chord. You know, that sounds bad. And it sounds like one of the strings is sharp or flat. You know, mm-hmm. like, that's not right. And, you know, the more you listen to the proper frequencies and the proper tuning, the more the other stuff you start to recognize isn't great, you know? Um, so that's just one of the things that, um, you know, it's almost an initiation in itself to get over, uh, in order to get through in order to start to kind of understand and start to tune in with it yourself. Um, that's a way that you can get to that point without, uh, you know, paying hundreds of dollars for a Reiki attunement or, joining a church of Christian scientists or a Rosicrucian order or, a, you know, a monastery in Europe, um, <laughs> you know, the practices that to learn this kind of thing, that's something that, that people could uh, dive into on their own or through some of the tracks I have on the SoundCloud, that kind of thing, uh, you know, start getting used to those frequencies. There's a guy who did a, uh, an experiment, I guess, more or less with, um, uh, you know, uh, former soldiers with PTSD. And so what he did was he used brainwave entrainment frequencies, um, to, to, you know, kind of calm the PTSD and to get rid of it. He, he was using, uh, 40 hertz, I believe, because it's kind of for cognitive synthesis, bringing all of your experiences into one. Uh, it's good for people with Parkinson's, you know, it can help stop the shaking because it can get their brain to, take control over the body again and and begin to work with the body again instead of having these two separate experiences going on and the brain can't control what the body's doing it can regain control so what he did with the ptsd uh experiencers was had them utilize the track and he used guys with serious issues with it you know several uh you know, episodes a day type of situation. So every time they would use this track and eventually they got to the point where they would start to experience it and they wouldn't need to go and put on headphones or turn on the track or find the phone and find the track and do all this and that. But it just, they started hearing it in their head. It's like, you know, either one of us could probably run, you know, a Beatles song beginning to end note for note word for word in our head uh start to finish 
with no problem because we've heard it repeatedly since we were little kids, you know, um, it's the same thing is that when you, or, you know, some, your, your newer, newest favorite song, something that's stuck in your head all the time, you know, uh, you may not be a proficient enough musician to sit down and play it on every instrument, but you can certainly hear that in your head in its completion. And, and if you actually went and played the track, you would find that you were actually had the right pitch and the right, tempo in your head as well you know so um eventually these guys wouldn't need the track anymore they could just bring it up in their head and it got to the point where the process took over and it was like you know i'm starting to get it oh, no i'm not it just does the work you know it's just like that process becomes shorter and shorter to where um you don't need to go to the track. You don't need to pull it up in your head. You know, these, these things fall off little at a time to where it just ceases to be a problem. It's kind of the same thing with me and the pain relief track and the migraines I used to get, uh, or, you know, even just dull headaches from a uh, neck and shoulder pain sitting at work all day in the same position. You know, it's, it just, I went from listening to the track in my car on break to pulling it up in my head to, not really needing it at all you know it just you you become more and more in tune with it to where it's uh it becomes a preventative thing and uh the the original issue just kind of disappears after a certain point so uh, so how do you identify how do you identify which frequency is going to help with which particular ailment and does that apply any way to like laying of hands um well with as far as what frequency and what ailment um with my pain relief track what it is is a series of frequencies that literally release serotonin and pain relief beta endorphins in the brain the same as a painkiller would um which is octaves of 5 10 20 hertz so on uh so um that's more for, for specifically doing that. Those frequencies are known to release those chemicals in the brain, just like as if you took an Advil or something stronger. So, um, those and, and the 40 hertz for cognitive synthesis, things like that, those have all been worked out years ago by the Monroe Institute and Transparent Corp. Um, and Transparent Corp is actually just down the street from where I used to live in Chicago. And so um, their work's been published for years. And as you know, the Monroe Institute, you know, was the one who designed the the gateway series, you know, for the military with their astral projection mm-hmm. uh, tracks. And interestingly enough, those frequencies were, um, what they were using was also the 2.5, 5.10, 20 hertz uh, frequencies for that and certain combinations of it that would they found would uh, assist in astral projection. So, um, but those brainwave entrainment frequencies have, have been established by those two companies for quite some time. I uh, simply, you know, read their studies, took note of the frequencies, what did what, and um, just created my own tracks and then just kind of verified that they were working using my own EEG system while using them myself and on, you know, other people would try them. Um, 
you know, sure enough, we could see the the frequencies peaking and the effects take place. So a lot of people have used the pain relief for for headaches and things like that. And uh, yeah, I had a, a friend that used to come and do the astral projection track once a month on the new moon. <clears throat> so uh, she insisted it worked pretty good. I, as with most of my session tracks, I recorded the singing bowls for them at the Integratron. And she said she didn't know that for probably, I don't know, maybe six months into it. And then she said, okay, that explains a lot because every time I start to take off, I'm in the desert. And then I go to where I want to go from there. And she's like, I don't, I'm here. And then I'm in the desert. And then I go from there and I can never figure out how I'm, got to the desert at first mm-hmm. when I was intending to go somewhere else. And I was like, oh, well, that's pretty interesting, you know, but every one of them would start off with me hitting that singing bowl in the Integratron and, you know, whichever one I used for the individual track. And, um, but I found that to be kind of funny, uh, something that, you know, might've been attributed to that. I don't know. I tend to think so, but she seemed to say, clicked uh, when I said that, you know, so, um, and that was something that didn't happen to her when she was doing it without the use of that track. So Once you're outside the body, how does the vibration work there? Because at that point, there's no physical body for it to connect to. Right. Um, to be honest, I can't really answer that question because I've never uh, really actually astral projected. Um uh, I was told by an Akashic Records reader that there was some kind of block there. Not sure who put it there. She said it might have even been myself, uh, a little beyond, uh, beyond her skill set to try to remove it, and it might be dangerous too. So I pretty much left it at that. Um, I'd been using the track for some time. I would, uh, nine times out of ten, I'd just fall asleep. Mm-hmm. When I used that track, and um, that's what happens to me with I it. I would have too. some pretty. That's <laughs> what happens to me with it too. But then I wonder. It, yeah. But then I wonder sometimes, like, like, am I actually asleep, or did I actually project and just don't remember it because I wasn't in my body? No. I yeah, I've asked myself that too because I've had some pretty vivid and interesting dreams when that happened quote unquote so i'm like okay well maybe it is working i don't know but maybe only to a certain extent i know that there are different levels um you know and and i don't you know i don't know being that it was my first experiences with it i can't really say for sure uh what exactly was going on but i felt like i was asleep if only because i felt like i woke up Mm -hmm. afterwards you know, but I'm not sure if that was actually waking up or just coming back, you know, and I know I don't remember the whole thing. You know, I know that because of the amount of time passed when I do it, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> so if I did have a dream, I remembered it was maybe five, 10, 15 minutes of the entire hour I was out or longer. You know, sometimes if I have it on repeat, I could stay out for several hours and, you know, um, so yeah, not really sure. Um, <laughs> it's something that I haven't really, um, worked with in some time. Maybe I'll like revisit it and see what I think about it 
usually when I go to do a session now, I just do the Schumann one to fall asleep to or Chakra's one or something, but that might be something to go back to. Uh, it is interesting because when I use it, I always wake up as soon as the track ends. And that's what makes me wonder whether it's working or not. Like, why do I wake up when the track ends rather than just stay asleep? Uh-huh. Yeah, and I wondered that, too. And the way I arranged it, too, it starts off with, I think it's 10 minutes of each. So it starts off with 40 hertz, and then it goes to 2.5, then 5, then 10, then 20, and then 40 again. So, um, you know, I do kind of bring it back to the beginning at the end. Um, so I wonder the same thing myself, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, okay. Uh, you know, and I've been told, you know, by the people who have done it, they say that it's great. That is the way it works for them is that it's, you know, a return. It's what's calling them back at that point, you know? Um, so I don't know. I just kind of set it up according to the Monroe Institute's, research on the frequencies in a way that I thought would be effective. Um, apparently it is. <laughs> so, uh, it may be that that's what we're experiencing and we're just not remembering as much as, as other people do. Maybe that's something to work on. Or, uh, you know, I don't know. Work with, I guess. It's interesting. Yeah. Maybe because we're not remembering it, maybe we're going even further out past the point of memory. Yeah, I'm wondering that too, you know, and, and also, you know, kind of spooked me a little what, what the Akashic Records readers said and makes me wonder if, you know, do I want to remember? Should I, you know, is there a reason I'm not remembering that I don't want to break that, you know, and, and, uh, you know, maybe it's something I'm not ready to deal with yet necessarily, but, um, being the curious, need to know everything type of person I am, <laughs> um, you know, I'm like, well, if I'm not going to remember it and I'm not going to be able to utilize it for anything in my normal day-to-day -day life, then what's the point of doing it? You know, mm -hmm. uh, not that there necessarily isn't one or not that it necessarily isn't affecting my day-to-day -day life or what is going on in it. Um, maybe it is, then. but if I don't know what it is, it's hard for me to feel a, urgent need to continue to do it i guess you know just have you had more earthly. than one person doing akashic record reading on you to verify that original uh, no i haven't that, no that might not be a bad idea either uh you know have someone else do a reading and don't mention that just ask the same question questions you know that i did before and see what comes back that might be a an interesting way to do it um and something i probably should have done some time ago it's kind of a um i remember reading that the um they called it a theosophical process which blavatsky came up with where if uh if a clairvoyant or psychic came to her and said well this is a message i received in regard to this she would pose the question to two other clairvoyants or psychics and say, you know, what do you, uh, what do you get from this? And if all three came back with the same answer, then it could be accepted as a truth, basically. Um, if not, 
then you'd have to even go further and see, you know, ask a couple more, <laughs> you know, and keep going until you can come to the conclusion that either it was BS from the get go or in fact, it's what multiple people are getting back from the cosmos on this particular topic or their own sources or whatever the case may be, you know, so, um, most psychics or, you know, clairvoyants, I think, would probably not enjoy someone doing that, um, <laughs> you know, or they'd probably think that's like cheating or something or, um, you know, but I've found, I, I've told people when it comes to doing tarot readings, you know, they, they tell you when you're learning to do tarot, um, you don't ask the same question twice or three times, mm-hmm. you know, you don't do it over and over, you're going to get the same answer. And I've done it just to see if I get the same. And I do, it may be slightly different cards, but nine times out of 10. Yeah. I could do a three card pull and two out of three comes up the second time. And the third card, you know, whatever card is different, isn't that different. It just Mm -hmm. relates in a slightly different way. You know, um, I was doing a thing on Arenum, that website where people do readings and I was in the open room doing single card pulls with my Egyptian deck and people are just bombarding me, you know, with questions. And then I shoot the answer and there's two more questions and I'm trying to keep track of them. And somebody went, hey, you never answered my question. And I said, yeah, I did. It's back up there. And no, no, I asked this. And I'm like, I know what you asked. And while I'm saying that and typing it, I'm shuffling again and I pulled the same card. And I scrolled back up to him and I said, see, I told you this is your answer. It was up here. And I pulled the same one for you. same question same answer don't do that it's a waste of time and if you think you're going to get a different card by saying you didn't answer it just because you don't like the answer tough you got the same one again you want to go for three you know so (laughs) (laughs) i bet it's not much different if it's different at all the third time so uh and what are the odds i mean happening even you know yeah i mean oh i know i mean that was well, right. And with a 78 card deck, that's the mathematics are like, what? I mean, the, the Egyptian deck I was using is 26. So that's, you know, your chances are one in 26 of getting the same card twice. That's not, you know, that's your chances of getting that same card twice in a row are going to be pretty slim after I sat there and shuffled them five, six, seven times and then just pull one off the, you know, and then cut it and then just pull one off the top, you know, like, that's the odds are pretty ridiculous that you would get the same card even yeah. with a smaller deck like that. But you know, when you're doing a 78 card deck and do a, a three card spread or something and two out of three come up the same, you're like, oh, okay, wait a minute. No, <laughs> you know, no, I've done, um, I'll, I, I've done where I'll like, I'll do a three card, uh, spread with, uh, the writer tarot deck and then, um, I'll pull a room. Or I'll do a three card, you know, three mm-hmm. rune pull to see, to compare, you know, on the same question, things like that. Um, you know, use different modalities, different decks, or, you know, yeah. just kind of see <clears throat> um, what the different modalities will tell you. But uh, yeah, I've, I've found that they usually correlate and um, just kind of back each other up. So just more like confirmation one way or another or clarification is what I'm usually looking for. It's not so much I need it to be confirmed. It's just another, uh, a little more insight into the 
bigger picture or the finer details of whatever may be going on. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I think can... When that happens, like, like we're talking about frequencies and then we're kind of talking about tarot cards, but it all sort of points to me, points to the same idea that we're probably living in a holographic universe with some type of pattern. Mm, yeah, quite possibly. I mean, <clears throat> um, I've never been a big fan of that idea personally or um, really dove into that a whole lot. Uh, just kind of, I think basically because I feel like regardless, we're kind of stuck with what we've got right now. You know, um, you can go out there and do astral work. Uh, you know, Wiccans may do this or that on, you know, etheric planes to get this or that result and things like that. But, uh, you know, when the alarm clock goes off in the morning, we still have jobs to get up to go to. And we have, you know, floors that need to be cleaned and laundry to do and food to cook and things like that. Um, you know, and errands to run. It's, we're, the reality to us is so physical that I don't see that, um, I guess I just don't see a lot of benefit to, uh, uh, I guess, putting too much weight into that as a belief, I guess. I don't know, uh, or exploring it too much. But I, I do tend to agree with you to a certain extent. Like when you watch the videos of um, like a wine glass breaking from a sound vibration, for example. Have you seen those? Mm-hmm. It'll slow it down in slow motion. Well, you know, just from the sound hitting the glass, it's it's not as amazing to me that the glass shatters. What's amazing to me is what happens to the glass before it shatters. When the glass becomes liquid from the sound and it starts literally waving back and forth, that to me is like, okay, is this really a solid object then? <laughs> you know, I mean, is it? Can it be? I mean, look at it. It's it's vibrating back and forth. It's moving like it's liquid or at least, you know, jello, not a, not a solid glass, you know? So what is going on here? What is the reality? Um, and, and if, is it just because our eyes don't perceive it, you know, um, all the time? Is this always moving? You know, it's just that we can see it because we plugged in a camera and slowed it down to the point where we can see what's really going on. Um, and clearly that's what it is, <laughs> you know, so, uh, I, yeah, I, I mean, that's one of those things that makes me go, well, yeah, uh, it kind of is to an extent a simulation, um, to, yeah, I'm not mean, I don't mean like a computer simulation, but it just seems to be something, um, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I mean, I can't even answer the question of what it is. But to me, the the um, idea that frequencies can heal, the idea that matter is not solid, um, the effects of sound and how they work in somatics, and how right. even color that we perceive is also different levels of frequency. And then there's the combination mm-hmm. of there's seven colors, there's seven sounds, and... and all these things just can't be right. quiz. I mean, it all points to some type of pattern. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Um, 
And I, I would think, you know, a lot of the esoteric teachings will say that it's, it's the, this is a lower density dimension type of existence we're in right now that is only one of many. This is where energy, you know, these extremely high vibrations have been octave down to where there's substance and matter and it's this like lower base physical uh, construct, you know, which also makes sense when you look into it and like the aspect of, of the different chakras and what those represent. Um, and um, Dr. Gerard and I were working yesterday on um, taking the rife frequencies uh, from the rife machine that he used to beam at the individual um, with different maladies uh, and found the specific resonant frequencies of those to blast them with was basically a sound laser. Um, so we took those frequencies, that, uh, you know, infrared range of 140,000 hertz and brought them down into the audible octave and then took a look at what color they coordinated to. And almost every single one of them was a, a, the note G and a, a deep, deep red, which is just below your root chakra. It's the basest of aspects. It's, um, and from what he said, a lot of these maladies and diseases would be um, inflammatory, you know. So um, red is, you know, the blood that, you know, becomes inflamed around it and can even be visible on the skin oftentimes. And it just makes perfect sense on many different levels, you know. Um, uh, one was a blue-green, kind of a teal, uh, but he said it related to an acidity that, that would relate in some way to that. He's far more advanced in biochemistry than I am, but he's teaching me slowly. <laughs> so <laughs> only as fast as I can learn, which isn't very um, <laughs> getting there, but it's uh, it's some complicated stuff. To, um, but uh, yeah, so it's, it's we're finding that almost all of them are octaves of this very low, lowest of the low, in the, in the physical realm that we have that we can um, perceive, you know, mm -hmm. and the way that we perceive it, it's on the very lowest end of that. It's not way up on some kind of heightened, enlightened thing or even anywhere else across the spectrum. It's just just above black, you know, <laughs> and, and what we can see if you just do the math and on those octaves and what it relates to. So, um, I think there were only three out of like 15 that weren't an octave of that, that color note. So pretty interesting to, to find that I'm going to have to make an Excel calculator to do the rest of them because it's just extensive mm. doing the math on it uh, with a calculator, <laughs> but I'm just put it in an Excel file and program it. And then I can just type each one in and it'll tell me right away. But, um, so that's, uh, that's something real interesting that, then when you look at these higher frequencies and then bring them down, what they relate to, um, you know, and that they exist on this other weird level, you know, um, somehow manifesting in ourselves, you know, as a disease and, and what that relates to in that, you know, color frequency and that audio frequency. Have you done any you know? correlation between the frequencies and 
say the the planets or um, the different parts of the Kabbalistic tree of life? Um, I've looked into it with the planets, of course, just with the the music of the spheres, um, you know, floods, you know, harmon uh, 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 monochord of the universe, you know, where the planets lie in relation to those notes. Um, I was kind of talking with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago about um, making a, uh, almost like a mobile tone chime that would, um, would have the, the planet's frequencies are all a lot lower. Um, but, you know, making a, a, a wind chime, tone chime type of deal uh, with each one of the pipes being um, the note representing those planets, you know, would be something kind of neat to make just just to hear, you know, set mm-hmm. it out in the wind and see what happens type of deal. Um, so just some, you know, I don't know, rather frivolous but creative, just fun ideas that I've had in regards to that. Um, nothing extremely scientific or major Susan Alexander who wanted to do a project with the pulsars a couple years ago. And I don't know, it's always on our, our back burner, but, um, actually copied and pasted all the frequencies from the different pulsars into an Excel file and, and started looking at the intervals. Um, there's a theory that, uh, that the UFOs utilize the, intervals between the pulsars as wormholes um so we kind of wanted to see what was going on with that one thing i'd like to do um i should have done it this summer maybe i'll get it done before winter hits uh like in the fall when it cools down a little bit outside is i wanted to take a like a kiddie pool and maybe pour some of that like black flex seal in the bottom of it so it's a nice smooth surface they always have like a raised pattern on the bottom so that the kids don't fall down, you know, kind of like your bath, you know, bath mm-hmm. mats, um, cover that and their little paintings of whales and fishies and stuff with a nice, even black rubber, and then attach a bunch of transducers to the bottom, fill it with water and then have those spaced out. Like take the crab nebula, for instance, put the transducers on the bottom of this thing, have it raised up on cinder blocks, you know, or something along those lines and uh and then put transducers on the bottom in the same configuration as the pulsars and then run those frequencies into those individual transducers and watch what the cymatics do and uh you know film it from above and maybe maybe even take little toy ufos and boats and stuff and put it in there (laughs) and see where where the waves take them you know like when it passes through this one does it go and go shooting across the pool extremely rapidly to another one you know and just see what happens um you know when we do that so that'd be something kind of fun to do i think i might might have to try and do that before the the weather turns on me yeah that'd be cool yeah, yeah, and I've got a big enough patio and yard to do that in. So, uh, yeah, I'll have to. Now is probably the time to get a cheap kiddie pool on sale now that we're nearing the end of the summer. Yeah. Probably find one on clearance and just get some of that flex seal and stick some transducers on it, see what happens. 
Do you think that we could possibly create a frequency that's powerful enough to dissolve the human body? Oh, I think that's probably already been done. I would guess that that's a a form of bioweaponry that they most likely developed already. I mean, um, back when I used to live uh, on a busy street in Chicago on the second floor, um, right on a busy intersection, and the, the summer would hit and all the crotch rocket guys are out there because we were right off the interstate, too. We were right between the interstate and the busy intersection. And so they'd be sitting at the red light just revving their motors and you're trying to watch a movie or something, you know, and it's just, or trying to record music and you can't because of these, you know, motorcycles going by every couple of minutes. And I'd started doing the sound therapy stuff with the giant transducer and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get an 18 inch speaker (laughs) and I'm going to like, I'm going to make a bass cannon. and just like knock these guys off their bikes to go flying into the brick wall across the street you know next time this happens because mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure i could do it at this point and just shoot it out my window and actually knock them off their bike i bet i could you know but of course i would never do that and never did but i'm like you know if i can sit here and figure it out what it would take you know then I'm not going to doubt the government didn't already do that 50 years ago. If not soon, you know, if, if not before then, you know, uh, just from the kind of stuff I'm doing and just knowing what's possible, you know, um, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't already have that developed and ready to use on just about anybody. Anytime hmm. things got bad enough. Do you think there's, it is any coincidence that in close encounters of the third kind they use music frequencies to communicate with the aliens? The light um, and the music? No. no um, and, you know, I've even looked into that particular, um, you know, sequence of notes. And um, one of my bands, we actually used to use it to tune up and warm up <laughs> like for our shows and for practice. Um just because you could just kind of jam on it forever and people are like, yeah, this is great. And you're just basically getting in tune and figuring it out, you know, getting your levels together and all that. Um, And I didn't really find anything of significance to the notes or colors or correlations or anything that they were using specifically in that progression of notes. Um, I think... I think typically of Spielberg, it was like, here's a little bit of truth, but not the whole story. You know, like this is a thing, but we're not going to show you what the actual thing is. Of course. Um, You know, yeah. So I would say that's probably, uh, you know, more along those lines. I mean, a lot of that movie was based on like Jack, uh, Jacques Vallée and um, that, that scientist that, the guy, me, and I forget who the other, who the main character is kind of based on, but I know the French scientist yeah. working up on the, on the landing platform was based on Jacques Ballet and things like that. So, and kind of 
you know, truth and fiction, which is just one of those things. I saw the movie when it first came out when I was a little kid, you know, but I had no idea that this was based on that person or yeah, me any of it had anything to do with a true story of any kind, um, you know. <laughs> but that the Devil's Tower is something interesting, too. There's that guy, YouTube, he's kind of nuts, but he talks about the the um, uh, mud fossils and uh but he insists that the devil's tower um was not the result of a volcano but that it's a tree stump and when you look at it it looks like a tree stump <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it really does you know and you hear these stories of the days of giants on our planet and things like paul bunyan you know and these giant trees that used to exist it's not a stretch i don't think you know um all you got to do is dig up but a it piece does, of it and carbon test it, right? Right, yeah. Yeah, I would say so, or core into it or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't see how that would be too difficult to either prove or disprove realistically. Yeah. You know? um, I would expect a volcano and a tree stump to have drastically different core samples coming out of them. I would you too. Know. One would be lava, one and, would be you know, wood. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, do we know of any other volcanoes on the planet that are just like flat across the top like that and and are no longer active and appear to have been sealed? I mean, I don't know. It's weird. It doesn't look like it used to be a volcano to me. It, was, it does wonder, look like a tree. Uh, are there any other volcanoes that look like Devil's Tower? Not that I've ever seen. So, I don't know. I mean, I've got this old postcard of Devil's Tower hanging in a frame. It's like from the 50s my mom gave me. It's, I mean, no. That does not look like any kind of volcano I've ever seen anywhere. <laughs> so, it's a little, yeah, it's quite different than that. It does just look like a giant tree stump to me. I don't know. I mean, if it was... A volcano, wouldn't we find that same thing in other places? That's what I would assume. I mean, how is there only one that's so old that it's evolved into that at this point? You know, I don't know. It doesn't make sense. You know, I suppose rain beating down and that kind of stuff, but does it really rain and beat down that extent in that area to where a volcano could be flattened out to that extent, even over millions of years? I don't know. I don't think so. You know, it doesn't seem plausible. But I don't know. Might be a crazy conspiracy, or it might be some truth to it. But I think if one had enough money, it'd be pretty easy to to prove or disprove. Digging into it, mm. it's like. But I know there's, you know, that him using that location in the movie also wasn't coincidence. That there's a lot of activity around there, so who knows what's what's going on with that place interesting to find out. Yeah, I've just never really thought about that until now. Like, if it was a volcano, we'd have other volcanoes that look the same. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so, but yeah, I don't know of any. All the other ones look much more pointed and still have an opening, even if they're not active, you know. Uh, It says says here that although magma, magma Form Devil's Tower, it was probably never a part of a volcano. Most geologists agree that Devil's Tower is a 
indigenous intrusion, a place where magma from the earth mantle build up between chunks of sedimentary rock. Huh. That's interesting. I'm not really sure what that means. I mean, does that mean there's like lava bubbled up between some cracks and formed it, I guess? Yeah, that's weird. And to me, that sounds like, I don't know, how a tree would grow. It does you know, a little more bit, than right? anything else. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Maybe they're covering their tracks in case it gets proven to be something closer to that. Hmm. That's a pretty interesting way to describe it. Huh. Self, I gotta go drill a hole in that thing, find out what it is. Right. <laughs> Something yeah. to do next week. <laughs> right. <laughs> Put it on the to-do list. Yeah. <laughs> start, start looking where you can rent some coring material, coring uh, equipment in the area. Uh, all I need is a a shovel. Yeah. <laughs> shovel and a chisel or Take a sledgehammer or something. Chisel. Yeah. <laughs> or be like, chiseling away at it. Who's that guy mining their way to the center of Devil's Tower? <laughs> right. And imagine if it was hollow. If there was something well, in yeah. there. Well, right. Yeah. I'm sure there's all kinds of... Uh, Regulations, just like everywhere else, where you're not allowed to do anything that might tell you if it was. And they've got like no digging. Uh, use lidar. Of, uh, I mean, lidar not that there's almost ever any reason for that. What would lidar? What's that? It's like a type of uh, radar thing that they use that you can see inside stuff. Oh, the. It's kind of like what they're right, okay. saying in South America where they're finding like, all these ancient cities they couldn't see before because of all the foliage. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that would be something to use on it. Need to get one of those on a drone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I might try to drive out there next a... week. Right. If I don't have any <laughs> podcasts scheduled. Oh, nice. I don't know. Isn't it in Colorado? I think it's in Utah or Montana. Oh, yeah, it might be Montana. It's also where dental floss comes from, if it's Montana. We were both around Wyoming. Oh. Northeastern Wyoming. Does Wyoming even have a city or an airport? Uh, I think they do. Hmm. Not sure where exactly, but Devil's Tower just says Devil's Tower, Wyoming, so they must have just named the closest town after it. Interesting. Yeah. They have a lot of state parks. State parks. Capital is Cheyenne. State parks yeah. is a whole other story. Uh, yeah. They're just there to I think I solved that one. <laughs> you did? Yeah. The missing 411 stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, What's the yeah. answer? Well, if I'm right, uh, it sucks. So, yeah, I guess we're way off topic at this point. My mind as well. Um, so, I was watching this documentary. I, I was watching one of the missing 411s. I think it was the first movie about it. Mm-hmm. 
um, that he did. And there's that part where there's those those cowboy guys that went up and, and set up their like off the grid land, you know, and they were living up there and, and hunting and fishing and, and living off the grid and um and they recorded those sounds. Ron Moorhead. I've had him um, on a couple times. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah, hmm. I know Ron. Okay, so so go back and listen to those again. And uh, he also brings on this guy who, again, is a retired Navy guy, and they always default to some retired Navy guy. Now, this guy is also a UFO researcher. I dug into him more, and and the, the story his wife had about, you know, seeing the predator thing in the tree and all that. Now, this guy immediately goes to, well, those are sounds that can't be produced by the human voice. Okay, well, first of all, I already debunked that back when they had the uh, angel singing on tape thing. I don't know if you heard about that, but they also claimed that the frequencies were not re- reproducible by a human voice. Well, mm-hmm. the plain and simple scientific truth is, is that if you can hear it, it can be produced by the human voice. So that's just a flat out lie. And anybody that's a naval audio, whatever they said he was, some kind of BS made up title they gave him for the documentary if in fact you were that you would know that it's basic physics you know mm-hmm. if if you can hear it the human voice can create it so our vocal range is about the same as our hearing range right but that doesn't or mean can, that, can be but that doesn't mean that there's frequency not frequencies in that audio that are not detectable to the human ear maybe some of it is in range and some of it's out of the range yeah, but that can still be overtones created by a, a normal human voice. Now, what it sounds like to me, and you can clearly distinguish there's a male and then a female comes in and possibly a, a third person also, probably male. Uh, you know, and they're claiming that these are creatures. It doesn't sound like creatures to me. It sounds like Native American language. Mm-hmm. And um, when you look into some of these other cases, now now Moorhead went on to record all these really hokey additional recordings that is clearly a human gar- grumbling gibberish into a tape deck and claims that they're the same creatures. They're not. It's clearly different recordings. They're not in the same place. It sounds like they were made in his apartment or house or living room or whatever. Uh, that one is the only recordings they have that sound like that. And it sounds to me like two or three Native Americans trying to scare people off their damn land and to get them to stop hunting their own you know, food and to get them the hell out of there. I think the crow were, um, I know that they were very vigilant warriors, that they would not necessarily be shuffled off to reservations quite so easily and i think a lot of them went underground and they're still living there and you look into the situation with the the guy that wandered off from his campsite went up on a hill he could see the campsite from the top of the hill went back down and for some reason went the other way of a trail instead of going back to his camp and was never seen again is what they can figure out they later found his boots and his thermos 
with the cup oh, off of yep. it sitting on a tree stump, right? Mm-hmm. And then what was it, weeks, months, or even a year later, I think, they found his bones and skull neatly piled at the foot of a tree nearby. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine if there are Native American tribes living in underground caves and, and caverns? This always happens near water. Um, just because you can't find an entrance to a cave or a tunnel doesn't mean there isn't one just beneath the surface of the water. These disappearances happen as if somebody swooped them out of the sky. Who could come in and take someone and disappear in a matter of seconds without leaving footprints or any trace? A tracker, not a Bigfoot, who leaves giant Bigfoot prints everywhere they go. <laughs> not a giant hairy ape, not necessarily a UFO. Trackers, Native American trackers could do it. They come in, they steal little kids, and they swoop that old guy who was sitting there with his rifle and everything, but his friends heard a snapping sound, and then all of a sudden he was gone. You know, I mean, it's kind of an Oakham's Razor type of situation. Bigfoot, UFOs, or the Native Americans never left, and they're scaring people off their land, and it works. There are people, you know, this is why, like, the parks don't want to talk about it. There's a girl that went missing, and the case file is still closed. Her family can't get access to the records. Neither can the missing 411 guy. Her own family can't see the files. The FBI got called in. The FBI doesn't get called in unless it's a child, and they suspect it was taken out of state. But the FBI goes in and investigates these reports. Why? You know, and and why can't? her own family see the files on it um you know i think uh you know there's been there's been several cases of where these kids will be out partying and and all of a sudden one of them goes missing and they're like well we're not going back there well it works right (laughs) you know i mean you disappear one of them the rest ain't going back you know you're gonna get left alone if you scare people enough but the park's services are like this isn't good for business you know like our towns depend on the tourism from this and and we've got to keep it under wraps and not only that but if they keep snagging these hunters and people who are well armed you know they've got to have arsenals down there at this point you know i wouldn't want to go in after them you know that's for sure so uh i don't know I, i could be wrong but Again, it's kind of an Oakham's Razor type of situation. I know the missing 411 guy likes to, and and Moorhead like to call it Bigfoot, but that could just be a different disinformation, or they're just just you know kind of playing on it. Hmm. Moorhead selling CDs and stuff, so you know, not like they don't have a stake in it, you know. But yeah, I, I mean, that could be part of it. Or, you know, I mean, Bigfoot and natives, uh, American natives have been known to cooperate with each other. So maybe it could be right. a cooper- cooperative effort between some natives that have managed to hide out yeah. underground and Bigfoots. I mean, I wouldn't, be. yeah, I wouldn't rule that out either in a lot of the areas. I mean, it's always around a state park, and it always is something like, you know, uh, Cheyenne. That's, you know, what do you think that used to be? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it wasn't ours. None of it was, for starters, but it's always around these state parks where, you know, 
they could be they could be still living and hunting and get hunting and gathering and and you know that one kid that just wandered off the trail that found his bones okay so if you were out hiking and you went off for a stroll by yourself and you're heading back to camp and this native american comes up to you oh hi you know come over and check out meet our people i'd be like word wow cool no kidding you still live out here this is amazing what a crazy amazing find i can't wait to tell my friends this is such a cool story i can't believe this this is really neat go off with them you know i mean i could easily see that happening you know they wouldn't even have to be kidnapped necessarily if you were some 23 year old college kid out for a hike with your buddies and oh, oh wow amazing Oh, I can't wait to go, you know, meet all your family and see what, how you guys are living out here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, this is going to be such a cool story to tell. This is really neat, but, but yeah, it's, uh, out in the Northwest. It's almost always in like, uh, land that used to be the crow and they were known to be some pretty fierce warriors. Um, and it, I don't know, like I said, the howling, it just sounded, it just struck me as that just what it sounded like. It didn't sound like some kind of animal. It sounded like Native Americans. To me, it sounded yelling, Asian, like, like Chinese. Um, it does kind of have <laughs> an Asian sound to it. But when I looked up Crow language and some of the words and phrases, it didn't, didn't sound like it was impossible for that to be what it was. Um, I don't know a lot about the different various Native American languages, but I um, kind of looked into it a little bit, and that wasn't much of a stretch, that's for sure. So why, why would the government even be concerned about hiding feral tribes of Native Americans? I don't think they're concerned about hiding them. I think they're concerned about they didn't know they were there all this time to begin with, or they have known that they're there, and they just don't want us to know that they're not all just quietly drinking on their reservations like everyone thinks they are mm-hmm. you know um and that they were defiant and they got away and um you know didn't go along quietly and so you know they just stayed their ground even if it meant going underground uh or maybe even up in trees and things like that you know i mean you know how resourceful they are and were and you think, think they could so, be cannibals? Mm. Possibly. I don't know. I think it's more like, you know, don't come out here and hunt our gear, you know. Um, I think it's probably more of a scare tactic type of situation, you know. Um, just disappear people, you know. Um, then, but I wonder you know, what they do with them. Like, why, they, they, they take them and kill them? I mean, I don't know. I would guess so. That would be the best way to make sure they didn't escape. The one kid who's bones turned up neatly. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, the one kid whose bones were piled up neatly under a tree. Clearly, they they killed him. You know, or whatever it was did. So, you know, this also, as far as as Bigfoot type behavior, you know, outside of some horror movies in the seventies, you know, when most people do have quote-unquote sightings whether what we've seen and heard is true or not i mean they seem more elusive like they're running away they're trying to hide um they don't want to have anything to do with us Mm -hmm. you know um 
never seen like a Bigfoot attack caught on camera. Somebody's out filming and, oh, what's that over there? And then it runs away. It doesn't run at them. It doesn't, I've never seen any signs of aggression in any of the so-called evidence of Bigfoot, you know. Um, so I don't see any reason to believe that they would just be randomly kidnapping children or well-armed hunters, you know, um, for any reason whatsoever, you know, quietly and stealthily. <laughs> Somehow, this giant beast that leaves these enormous footprints all of a sudden is now light as a feather and quiet as a mouse <laughs> and can kidnap a 250-pound old guy sitting there with a rifle, you know, I mean, <laughs> or shotgun or whatever he's got, you know, it like, just doesn't make any sense. Like, why, you know, um, always seems like they're trying to avoid humans and hide, so... Mm-hmm. No, again, I guess. I mean, I, I don't think I don't. Easy. I don't think there's the Bigfoot that are making the people go missing. I do believe that, um, like Ron's, like I've interviewed Ron a couple of times. He he kind of has a spiritual view on Bigfoot. You know, he believes it's sort of a multi-dimensional type of creature uh, that's very connected to the Native American culture. And you know, he's not really big on going out there knocking on trees and stuff like that. He's more about going out in the woods meditating and opening yourself up to having the encounter. Mm. You know? Well, yeah. So, so, so I mean, know, it's, he's now, he never has come out and said that there were kidnapping people. I mean, that was the guy who made the movie was sort of referring that. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, it's again, not too surprising that Moorhead would take that view. And, you know, it's always that kind of new agey thing to say, now, interdimensional or something, I've never seen any evidence for that. For I've never seen any reason for someone to say that. I personally think that science has been looking for the missing link for as long as people have been reporting sightings of Bigfoot. So, duh. <laughs> you know, there you go. That's what it is. Um, you know, they... They appear to be very human-like. Uh, even the biblical stories of, you know, or the you know, the uh, Sumerian stories of the first humans created were kind of too dumb for the god slave's labor, so they had to be wiped out and replaced with something a little bit smarter, uh, you know. And so to me, it just kind of makes sense that, you know, um, it's just that elusive missing link uh, if, if in fact, you know... Um, evolution is even a thing or whether we were created um, either way you know there's that that, uh, that story of you know a, a first race that were just kind of you know too mindless or too just not intelligent enough to actually just follow direction you know they were just too much animal still you know so it just kind of seems to make sense but that's just what I've gotten from, you know, what I've read and, and seen and heard over the years. Never be certain on that, I guess, but my take on it. But, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. But I think I think if the number of disappearances versus number of actual sightings of Bigfoot, I just think it's a little silly for the missing four one one guy to be. So focused on Bigfoot, 
you know, being the cause of it or UFO. I mean, you know, I guess he kind of opens it up to UFOs too, but. Uh, I, I haven't read all no, the books. Like, he had a ton of books. The only thing I've done is I watched the two movies. Yeah. But he has like a Yeah, that's same here. Yeah. <clears throat> I've read some of his stuff, not the books, but just read parts of them online here and there. But yeah, most of it. I, I mean, and he did try and tie UFOs into it with like one case where UFO was also sighted. Uh, okay, that's one time though out of hundreds of cases, you know. I mean, um, to me, that's not evidence that they're involved in any way every time, you know. So to me, I think that's almost more coincidence or, you know, maybe not, but. But you'd think there'd be you know, mm. other people, other campsites. Well, we saw these lights headed that way, you know. Oh, yeah, and then we saw these lights over here going the other way, you know. Never any of that. Just one time there were some lights, two nights in a row. That's it, you know. So it's, But in a movie like that, you know, you get people who have that I want to believe mentality, you know, it's going to be. Uh, easy to just take it at face value and go, well, that's a possibility, you know, but it's like, well, is it though? <laughs> you know, one time in hundreds, I mean, you know, I don't know. It's pretty slim, <laughs> you know, evidence, but, but again, who knows? That's Have you ever considered sure going, going out into the wild and like blasting different frequencies to see if you get any type of supernatural responses? Uh, no. <laughs> no. No. Um, I did some stuff with that when I was younger and um, when I was in school for audio recording. I did some stuff with um, <clears throat> recording, trying to record spirits, and I did stuff with uh, certain frequencies that are supposed to attract them, and I had some pretty negative experiences from it, so I quit doing all that, and, and uh, haven't really revisited it since. Yeah. Don't really have any plans to. No, um, it must have been bad. Uh, yeah, the ones with like the 17 hertz I was doing that are found around poltergeist activity is probably not the smartest thing to do in my own home. Uh, so, yeah, I quit doing that pretty quick. <laughs> so, oh. Had a couple weird things happen, yeah. So there is a connection point, think, I, between these frequencies and supernatural phenomena. Uh, definitely some, yeah. Um, there are definitely, I think, um, I don't know, there was a debate on if the 17 hertz was being picked up around poltergeist activity because of say an old faulty electrical system or something like that or if it was a product of it uh, but when i used it uh, at one point i hit i was using an old asr10 keyboard sampler sequencer and i hit sample on it to record got a bunch of static through my headphones all of a sudden um, i was using a little tv vcr combo to sample off of that screen went to static um trying to take a sample up of an old VHS tape of a horror movie and everything on my coffee table hit the floor <laughs> all at the same time. So I was just like, I just shut everything down and just walked out of the room. I'm like, I'm not going to 
work on that track anymore. <laughs> I'm done with it. You know, it's just like, okay, never mind. So, hmm. don't know what happened there, but it was, yeah, I was by myself in the apartment and yeah, it was pretty scary. So I was like, no, okay, <laughs> I get it. I'm done. Won't, won't mess around with that anymore. Wow. Yeah. Huh. Be weird. I would have just kept yeah. on doing it to see what happened. <laughs> yeah. Nah, I wasn't going to push it after all my stuff hit the floor. That was a little scary. I mean, you know, the static all of a sudden, I could have maybe rationalized somehow. You think you uh, could have opened the portal to hell? <laughs> I don't know about that. Probably at least to somewhere. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what it did, but whatever was going on, whatever was there or whatever I tapped into wasn't very friendly. So I just left it at that. <laughs> Didn't ever go back to it. I was like, nope, bad idea. Hmm. Yeah. So before we wrap yeah. this up, where can my listeners find you and your book and your classes? And your tarot card uh, readings everything. and everything else that you do. <laughs> All of that uh, would be on damienkeller.wix.com slash sounds good. Uh, that's a bit too much to remember. You can simply Google my name, D-A-M-E-O-N, Keller like Helen, and you'll see my website right there, Amazon, uh, SoundCloud, all that good stuff. So... Um, and if you just click on the website, all the links for everything else are, are right on there as well. So, all right. Well, what I'll do is I will put a link to your website and in those of this episode, some of my listeners can find you and check you out. Very cool. I appreciate it. Awesome. Uh, I hope everyone is enjoying the new intro. <laughs> I think I've got, gotten good feedback about it. People do oh, like good. it. Yeah. yeah. Glad to hear that. And speaking of the intro, let's hang out and play the outro. <laughs> Sounds good. Hang on one second. <laughs> Remember everything that it says.